Hey everyone, this is Kurt Frankum, the host of the Leading Saints podcast, and I just want to give a big shout out to uh, Steve Shields and his team for this incredible resource. Unashamed and Unafraid is a, a podcast I never miss an episode because these stories that you tell with no shame truly inspire me and I love it. Please continue this great project and sharing your story. Now, I want to share with you, the, the audience of Unashamed and Unafraid, an online conference happening right now. It's called Liberating Saints, and it's a free online conference for not just addicts, but for individuals around the addict, like loved ones, family members, friends, and especially church leaders. Through this conference, we're striving to get them information from the experts that will most help them mentor individuals through addiction without bearing them with shame. And there is even an incredible interview with Steve Shields that you don't want to miss. We'd love to have you register for this conference. It's free, and it's happening right now. So visit leadingsaints.org slash liberating for all the details. Welcome to Unashamed and Afraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed, Unafraid. Um, I always say everyone's my favorite one. <laughs> you can't do that, right? This was my favorite one, but but this was this was cool. So, yeah. um, I I mean, where do you start? There's just a there's just a lot here. Yeah, um, Richard's story is just fantastic. Richard I, and Becky, Richard right? and Becky. And Becky, yeah. you've heard a little bit about Becky. She was on our when we did the uh, Heart of a Woman Retreat. Thank podcast. you, the Heart of a Woman Retreat podcast. Um, she was one of the. So she kind of talked a little bit about her story, her background, but. Yeah. Yeah. We had Richard on this time, and I just really resonated with what he had to say. A lot of the things that he's gone through, I go through and have gone through myself. So to me, I just I was tearing up throughout the whole thing, just the level of compassion I have for his story, because it was hitting so close to home for me. Well, and to me, that's the beauty of this whole thing, right? Is um, and, I, and we and we tell that to everyone when they come on. Um, it's like your story is unique, and it's going to hit people the way no one else's story has. Um, and you know, I I can relate to him. Uh, so open, willing to share. He doesn't have the the Chris and Autumn story or Dave. Some of the guys we've had, it's you know, they don't even know how many years they've been sober. It's so far in the rearview mirror, right? He's more on the my end of the spectrum, right? Still, still, still struggling with it, still coming out of it. But I feel like so many people get this perfectionism around. Um, I'll be happy when this is completely out of my life and I've checked the boxes and I'm fixed. This I still struggle with that, as you know. I mean, we have conversations about it. And what I loved about you know, he talks about his early life and just the perfectionism and not being enough and the isolation. And it was so interesting throughout the whole podcast. I hope you pay attention to this as you as you listen. He continues to talk about his brokenness yeah. and just the difficulties he's facing and the stuff he's struggling. I mean, like on a brutal, honest level that made me be like, gosh, am I as honest as he is? Like, and 
he is totally okay with himself. Like, and, and I wish everyone could have yeah. been like, I wish we did well, these like in video where people could sit here, but you could tell how comfortable he was in his own skin and like that God loves him. He's in a good place, even though he may not be in a good place yeah. on some stuff and is struggling. It's just so cool. It was, he was so vulnerable about, about where he is in his process and that sometimes he's really good with and healed with God, but then at the same time, man, I still struggle with this. This all comes back to haunt me sometimes. And he's so well-spoken as he as he walks us through this journey. I'm really looking forward to this well, one. Well, uh, yeah, and my, and my favorite was, uh, as you know, right, we end everyone and we say, hey, what's your song that you want to listen to, right? And, and for most people, this is like an instant, they connect with music and they're like, oh, this is that song, you know? Yeah. And that's what we do. And it's like, oh, a tenor. And even in then, like, so clearly Guns Loaded, like we're into the music, right? Yeah. We plug it hard. Even then he's like, yeah, I'll let Becky because, you know, I'm on and off with the music sometimes. I don't know. And I'm just like, this guy's honesty and, and where he's at so where it's it's these are always longer than we intended to be really listen to the whole story and and you know becky being here with him um just them together and what she's been i mean she has an incredible life journey in Mm -hmm. and of herself right their level of compassion for each other as we sat and uh recorded this just the the intimacy holding hands um the tenderness that they display toward one another uh toward each of that they honor each other's journey well right. said. Well said. And um, it was in, it was amazing to see because a lot of times when we have the couples on here that have a, a ton of sobriety, I can kind of ask the question, you know, you didn't trust them then, but you can trust them now because you're a big mm-hmm. part through that journey. And it was interesting. They're they're still on the journey in a lot of ways, but the the affection that she has for him already, the trust rebuilding and how different their relationship is now. And I just say that because so many people feel like, both spouses, right? The addict, when I'm healed and 100% done with this, sobriety-wise, then I'm ready. And the spouse says, our relationship isn't going to change till he's perfect. I know he's been perfect for a long time. And they're a perfect example of how untrue that is and how right. God has happiness for us right now if we're stepping in. And just that that yeah. joy that she had, you could just you could just feel it. I mean, you can sense it as she's talking. The, that their healing journey is a that they love each other in that journey and through the journey that they have found healing throughout that journey with all the highs and lows that come with it they're letting christ come in now and change who they are right now even though they don't have it all figured out and and changing all areas of their life stuff exactly. with money stuff with eating stuff with the sexual addiction stuff so um as fun as as great as it is for us to talk about this story we should just let them listen to it. Let's go. Okay. So with this, um, I, I hope that, um, you know, if this touches you, feel free to comment. What we always want to bring up is you can ask anonymous questions. We'll answer on a, on a post with uh, men and women in recovery, therapy experts, whoever's best to answer your question. Um, follow us on social media, Unashamed Unafraid, at either Instagram or Facebook. You can give us a like. Um, and any feedback, if any stories touch you, send us an email. Send any of us an email. We always love to hear from people. And with that, we'll uh, get in the studio. Guys, thanks for being here with us. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having us. uh, Becky, this is coming back. 
right. uh, in, in kind of short order, yeah. right? So um, if you don't know, Becky was here with us on the Heart of a Woman retreat. Um, so we, we kind of learned a little bit about your your guys' story, not just enough to whet our appetite. Right. Um, and so James ran you down, and here we are, right? Right. Um, and Richard, thanks for being here with us. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks um, for asking. So th- this is cool. So sometimes when we record people's stories, I've, I've sat with them before. I've heard the whole story. That's how I'm getting here. I don't really know your story. And so the, I, right. for me personally, just one brother to another, I'm just excited to be here and, and to hear your story for me. That's kind of selfish, huh? But That's for me okay. personally. Um, Glad to be here. James, are you ready to party or what? Let's do this. <laughs> so as always, we kind of let people tell their own story. Um, and so... You know, Richard, we'll start with you. Just tell us about, you know, briefly just kind of your growing up years, how, sure. how God was framed for you as a kid, family, how you first got exposed to sexual stuff, pornography, whatever. Just tell us how it all started. Yeah, sure. Um, so I did grow up here in Utah, um, kind of on the back end of Grandpa's farm, third of six kids. And, um, you know, I was a little bit of the the lost boy in my family. Um, my older brother was really loud. My older sister was, you know, kind of a second mom. And then there was me and I just kind of got lost in the mix. So, um, I don't know. I was kind of the kid that tried to stay in the background, um, tried to stay quiet, um, tried to cause as little noise as I could. And, um, when I was about the age of, uh, 10, 10 or 11, I just remember, you know, simple thing, just being, I was bullied a lot. I had a really miserable time through um, elementary school. I've told Becky before, you know, that it was just horrible time. I would never go back. Um, and I would come home and just not say a word. And my mom would find out that someone pulled a knife on the bus on me or something, you know, in oh, third wow. grade, like stupid things that would happen to me. So I'm just going to break that. I wouldn't yeah. call that stupid. That's intense. Well, it's just crazy things that kids would do, you know, and yeah. I just was, you know, I was constantly the kid that everybody wanted to be up on because I was an easy target, that kind of thing. So by the time I get to 10 or 11 years old, I'm kind of a miserable kid, you know, and just, I don't know, just lost and uh, the big thing for me was uh, in farm country uh, back in the time when I was growing up in the 80s, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have access to anything in Utah, you know, there just wasn't anything around, you know, but I'd hear dirty jokes on the playground and things like that, you know, and it just really sparked the lust in me that I didn't understand. And uh, and so I just started to look for simple things, you know, uh, pictures in the encyclopedia, anything, you know, I could find as a kid, anything that would come across TV, you know, and so... Uh, I got really addicted to lust before I even understood what pornography was um, and didn't understand it. My my mom and dad were very distant. My dad was um, quiet, distant. Um, I think he might even be a little bit on the, um, I don't know, a little Asperger's or autistic mm-hmm. scale, on something like that. Very bit. quiet, yeah. um, very absorbed in his routine and not affectionate at all. You know, I felt like... Um, he was a very dutiful man, but I didn't feel a whole lot of affection from him. And my mom was very distant, but very loud, very angry all the time. And and so um, if I asked my mom for a hug, she'd be uncomfortable because she felt like it might be sexual or something. It was just a really odd flavor for affection. And um, I've Ouch. since then, yeah, it was that's, really That's a wow really in lonely. and of itself. Yeah. Really confusing for a child, I think. Yeah. We just cry about so, that for an hour. Yeah. yeah. And so it was just really hard, and it set up this 
setting of I don't know what affection is and well, I'm not how do you talk about that right hey yeah. kid bullying me just quick question for you like yeah have you ever asked your mom for some tenderness and you don't get any just yeah. don't want to have a conversation there I mean yeah. said no kid ever right right so I just got lost in lust you know not even knowing what it was until uh, when I was like 15 I decided this is wrong I don't like it I truly tried hard to change worked with my uh, my church bishop trying to you know, so just figure it out. So kind of back in that real quick, religious mm-hmm. upbringing? Yeah, very. Um, we okay. all were very religious, grew up in uh, in the church here and everything. And the Church uh, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Yep. Church, okay. Yep. And uh, it was just, uh, I don't know, we we did the dance, but we didn't hear the music in my home very much. And so Ooh, well a lot said. of anger, you know. I, yeah. It was just a, it was just a hard time, and I knew I, I loved God. Like my mom would always say, "I'm amazed at what a good kid you are. I'm amazed at how much you know you want make me want to be better. All these things." Um, but I felt so incredibly lonely. I didn't know how to deal with that or what yeah. I was doing. And so, by the time I was 15, like I said, I wanted to change, wanted to get better, and actually had a pretty good summer and felt like I got away from it for a while. And then. Um, kind of by accident discovered pornography and masturbation about the same time. Um, didn't even realize what it was. And, um, and the masturbation just, again, you know, as a boy, stumble across it, that kind of a thing. And it was just kind of hooked. And then... Um, and your views of sexuality, yeah. are you having any conversation around this with anyone in your... No. So health class, that was about the best discussion <laughs> I ever got on sex. So yeah. it, it was nothing. There was nothing out there. That no I one's ever, talking about it. And no, at home, no at one's all. talking about it. No. Um, in fact, uh, I, yeah, my parents for a lot of years fought about it really badly, and they have a, a pretty poor relationship. And my mom, just from growing up, she was a farm kid, and she saw and heard all kinds of things. And so she was incredibly afraid of it. And uh, I think there's a bit of a family Meaning sexuality there. in general? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, you know, one of my um, older generation family members was accused of molesting his daughters. And, uh, and I have no idea. I'm way too far removed to know what that did. But my mom's dad got really paranoid and said, you will not even, you know, the very appearance of evil is not welcome. Just yeah, not really, sure. So really, know, really so rigid, really rigid. rigid perfectionist. So I grew up in that home. Yeah. Mom's in charge and very rigid. And yeah. so anyway, so um, the so internet you, came into our house oh, when I was How old turning you? 16. Okay. So as I say, so, I get into the high school years, internet shows up. Yeah. And, so exposure uh, there, I'm sure. Yeah. I didn't even know what it was much until... Um, till my mom said, your uncle says it's really easy to find porn online. Be careful. So I was hooked. Yeah. And, uh, immediately, as soon as I had an opportunity, went in to see what is this about? And, um, anyway, I was just completely, it was a riptide. I was, I was just hooked and yeah. I was completely addicted. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't know. It was rough for a few years there. Um, so I'm assuming so. based on the bullying, the aloneness, that high mm-hmm. school didn't go any better. Um, it got a little better. I had a, a few friends um, when I got out of uh, elementary school. Uh, it got a little bit better that way. And then uh, because everybody else just got involved in other stuff and kind of left me alone. But uh, about the time I was really getting into this and really getting addicted by about the end of the first year, um, started dating. And um, we... Uh, as we were dating, both became very codependent, 
and both started to sneak out, do all kinds of things, and got too sexual with each other. And it was just a, a bad mix of nobody else to talk to and handling it in a poor way, you know, because I was just never taught any better, and I had no idea what I was doing. Which feels, like, so, so isolating. Yeah. But, like, um, that can feel so isolating, like, that dialogue, because you feel so lonely. I was the same way. I was totally alone in my addiction. But what we've both come to find out now, right, James, is that pattern is so common, Right, right. And so many men have experienced that same isolation right. and loneliness. Um, again, so you're you're carrying that served a mission. I did. Um, Where'd you go? I went to Iowa to the Midwest. Okay, um, all right. And I actually got uh, clean enough. I felt about going from this, but at the same time, while I was out there, I still struggled. Like yeah. um, you know, usually not with pornography. You don't have access to much. But with the, the masturbation, those yeah. things, it just, you know, always felt unworthy, always felt like, you know, I need to do better. And it was just a constant feeling of of kind of shamed all the time, you know, yeah. that I was, uh, I was doing the best I could do, it. but not good enough. Yeah. Always not good enough. Oh. So, and I was talking to my mission president about it once in a while. He said, well, oh, okay. try harder. You know what I mean? Like it was all just. It's the good old try harder gospel. Yeah. If you just so, read and pray more, you'd be done. Yeah. And Seven so, Habits, Highly Successful People, you should read it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it was just a lot of nobody, nobody had any idea what to say or do. And culturally it was so much of a, you know, no one talks about it that you just have no idea. You're just stuck. So, so coming home from your mission, are you like. I've got a problem. This is a thing. Or are you still just like not lacing this all together and just kind of going down the road? I was very much, um, if I can hang in there, it'll get better. I don't know how, you yeah. know, uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, there's gotta be a way, there's gotta be something around the corner, just this constant hope because I felt like if it wasn't going to get better, then I, I still loved the Lord and I wanted to serve him. I wanted to be good. And this was so much a, a opposite of everything that I knew was good that I was just hating myself all the time because I was in this and just, you know, could not understand how those two could fit together. And so, well said. yeah, it was really just painful. And so when I got back, um, uh, within a couple of months, uh, Becky and I ended up actually getting married. And Okay, so um, we're going to pause you. Okay. Because, Becky, you've just been quiet. Just tell us same kind of same questions. Tell us your background, how kind of before, you know, you guys ended up getting married. Yeah. Kind of tell us your story. Okay. Um, I was raised a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, my home life was my father was abusive. Um, mentally, verbally, and actually very spiritually abusive as well. Very much unrighteous dominion, wielding the priesthood over all of us, and things like that. So, I I came Sexual out of abuse, this. physical abuse? Um, not by my father, by a neighbor I was molested, oh. along with my oh. sister. Oh. And um, at that time, there was no processing. I just had to move on with my life. And so, I buried that. And I didn't really recognize it for what it was for a long time. 
until adulthood. So and that was really painful. What ended up happening is that like intensely painful. Yeah, that's my whole family system is a yeah. story of sexual abuse. Yeah, I've very that painful. For years. Yeah, and it turned into to deal with that pain. It turned into different forms of numbing, um, perfectionism, being the the good kid, the best student. You know, not rocking the boat at my home. Um, Richard and I started dating in high school, and I had to keep up that perfect student, perfect child, um, but we were sneaking out, you know, we were breaking all the rules that we weren't supposed to be. And so well, I was so I living make that sure dual life. The that's, that's the girl in high school. She's yeah. right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. That makes yep. to tell. <laughs> yeah. So he told me we started dating and I would say six months into dating, he told me that he had a problem with pornography and masturbation. And honestly, I, the way to be hardcore. I just never yeah. would have done I just from one brother to another you have more courage than I do. He's super brave. It 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 amazes me now looking back how this seventeen year old young man could be so honest. But also realized that I was incredibly broken and had right. nobody to talk to. Yeah. And it was incredibly liberating to talk to her in a way and um, I don't know, we did not know how to help how to handle the power in having that as our only connection, as as a real deep connection. Yeah. And so Except, it was powerful, yeah. it was good to be honest, but at the same time I was so much using her to try and figure out how to feel better, including some of the trouble that we got into together. It was, you know, it was not okay, but it's complicated. Yeah, and it is. Our know. story is complicated. So, so I can relate to that because on the, I had a longstanding girlfriend through high school um, who really anchored me in a lot of ways, like, because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't talking to anyone. I was alone. Like, her, you know, I didn't have any brothers. She had these brothers who had served missions and were good examples to me and, you know, stuff that. And then I had all this other acting out on the other side of my dual life. And so I, I can get that where it's like it's, right. it's not happening the right way and you have some struggles around it. Like, I would never tell anyone, like, have a super intense high school girlfriend. It's a really good idea. <laughs> right. Right. But th- there was some really good things that came out of that for me. And, right. You know, she's a great person. And, right. and there was a lot of good that still came out of it, even though I wasn't in a good place. Right. A lot of good that came out. Well, and I so feel I can like, relate to that. I feel like honestly we were doing the best we knew we yep. were well obviously you know? I mean, come on you're 17 and you're like hey i want to be honest about my pornography right I mean, you and i and both know all the guys in their 40s you still can't be honest about it right so that's, i mean right. myself included mm-hmm. really struggled so yeah. I, I i would have never done that you have more courage than me yeah so you get back from your mission we were engaged um he got back on Wednesday and we were engaged on Saturday. (laughs) So we both had talked and written his mission and felt really peaceful. If everything was okay and we felt comfortable, let's just get married. And so we were engaged after just a few days and got married seven weeks later. There's someone right in the missionary right now listening to this story being like, it's, it's going to work it out. It happens. <laughs> but see, we'd been, we dated for a long time before. Yeah. So. We dated four years before I left and then got Rope. married on the six-year anniversary of our first date, basically. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so, I normally ask the question here, you know, did you know about the addiction before I you did. got married? You did, right? right. But um, I do have to say I knew but how much can a 17-year-old girl or boy truly understand about addiction when 
nobody talks about it. You know, how, how, how much could we really understand? Yeah. And even at 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. So she knew, but when we got married, you know, you feel like that's the end of everything, right? Because suddenly it's okay, but it, it got so much worse, you know, not too long Did after we got married. Did you think going into marriage that it would go away? I didn't know. Like, I just thought it would get a lot easier, you know. I didn't know if it would go away, but how could it not be easier, you know, when you're allowed to be sexual, you know, with your with your wife now and, and that kind of thing. So, yep. yeah. And yep. so it was definitely something that... Uh, I really hoped would make it a lot better. And I think I went into a really bad place because it wasn't getting better. And, uh, and I must have expected it to be all better because it was just so hard afterward. So, so. before we move on to the, this next part of the story, the post marriage part of the story, I wanted to, um, ask each of you to kind of share what your, I guess, vision and perspective about, yourself was you know becky coming from some some abuse of you know in that area and richard with you coming from sounds like a lot of shame and a lot of self-loathing yeah um how did that what was your relationship with god like prior to that you two getting married sure um for me and I talked a little about this on the other podcast um, because the that's a great plug. You guys should all listen to it. <laughs> listen we just to it. it. It's yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Heart it's of very Retreat. Good. Yep. Um, I taught um, the male figures in my life had damaged me, and so it was hard for me to envision God any differently. So I was checking the boxes. Um, doing everything that they said I was supposed to do and just kind of thought it would be okay. But looking back, I can say that I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. Not at all. I didn't. And I don't think I recognized it. I think my focus was just check the boxes, move on with life. Okay. Um, Richard? Um. I loved God in my head, and I wanted to love him in my heart. Um, after reading and praying so many times that the Lord did not take it away, I think I started to get a little bitter. And uh, I i don't know, I began to basically put Becky in my heart as God for a long time because it was just easier. And you didn't realize so, you, do, you were doing that, or you did realize you were doing that? Didn't really realize it for a while. Okay. I actually had it pointed out to me um, by... Uh, one of my bishops who just says, you know, I really feel like she has taken the place of God, that she really answers, um, that she is helping you through struggles and things that God should be helping you with and all kinds of things. And so I was getting more distant from God in a way, and I didn't realize it until a few years later, but um, I believed that God was very rigid. You know, my parents were, it was everything I knew that if I was being if I was being contrary to God's law, then obviously he wasn't happy with me. Happy with me. If he wasn't and taking it away, it must be you. I must bad. be doing something wrong. You know, all kinds of things that just hurt so much that I did not want to do this anymore, and he would not take it away. I mean, right. how could a prayer like that go unanswered? It was so hard. 
and I didn't want to do it so much anymore and I just wanted to to have it end and it just kept going and going and going and it just never ended and so it just got I got bitter a little bit and, and I, uh, yeah, I totally relate to that yeah. that was very much the message I took out of my struggle as well right was that you know this there must be something wrong with me right because God is not answering this what I felt would be a, a good and worthy noble effort and prayer and it's just not going away right and so it, I'd hear things also like you know, make sure you repent of this before you die or else, you know, oh, I've that's heard not that, shaming at all. I've heard that, Dang. yeah, addicts are still addicted and have it, all sorts of horrible things, you know, Awful. spiritually. And you're just like, how on earth can this be God? That's you my know? next prompt noise. So I've so, said for when, when people make like denial statements, right? Mm-hmm. Like denial, the posing, right? The total, right. like, that we're going to have like a bell, like, bing, like, we know this is a <laughs> denial statement, right, Brody? Right. We need one for shame statements, yeah. like a yeah. gun, you know, bang, like that, because <laughs> that's how it feels, right? It's like, right. if you don't fix this before you're dead, you're screwed, bang, right? right. Like that's, right. oh man, that's so, with... I mean, you kind of knew what you were getting into, getting married, right? But so get me into the relationship, right? You settle in, you're kind of married. What was it like being married to him as he's, I mean, I'm going to put some words in your mouth, but, you know, despairing, having some bitterness towards God. Right. Is that, I mean, that's accurate. Lying my head off. <laughs> you're lying your head off, right? Yep, for so a while he, there. So he's lying about it. What was that experience like? Like you knew something was off. You, like what was that experience for you? The first few years of our marriage were scary and lonely and um, extremely sad. We loved each other fiercely, but there was so much lying that we could never fully connect ever. And if we did try... Did you know he was lying even though you didn't know he was lying? Yeah, for sure. I knew. I, I maybe I didn't know all the details, but I knew when he was lying. You know, and sometimes it was know. very obvious. <laughs> they always know. We do. We know. Was well, an addict. You struggle with that. I had times where I'm laying in bed with Kayla, and she's like, "Will this um, come up on your? Uh, is there anything that's going to come up on your accountability software tomorrow morning?" And I know that there is, and I'm like, "Nope." Nope. And then the next day she'd be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, you knew I would see this. I gave you and an open you, door. An open door <laughs> in kindness. And you lied to me. But just, Richard, you've done such a good job of describing me, like the despair that you're feeling. And just, and so what I would do is I would, I bring this up to say, I would lie to myself and go, because I would, I would have perfectionism in our marriage. I'd be super nice with flowers yeah. or do extra cleaning or whatever. And then I'd go, if I do all of this, she won't know. It's like you can't cover that up enough. No. She and he wasn't knows. he wasn't usually mean or abusive, you know, like sometimes he'd get angry, but he'd be gone for hours. He wouldn't be in class. We were in school. He wouldn't be in class. He'd be acting out um when I needed him home, when he said he'd be home. He I knew. So so, Richard, yeah. tell us height height of it height of your addiction in marriage. You know what is what did that look like? Um, that was probably the worst of it um, because when I was in my teens, I would just act out multiple times over the course of a day just because I didn't I didn't want to hurt anymore and I didn't know anything better. Yeah, you know, my, it's the coping my, mechanism. It's yeah, the drug. Yeah, 
And uh, the example I've always gone to is that um, I've had to learn since then a lot of self-compassion because um, looking back, you know, there was so much pain in my life. Some people will reach for different medicines on the shelf to figure out how to numb the pain, how to help the pain. You know, for those of us who have fallen into and and gotten so trapped in pornography addiction, we just reached for a really heavy painkiller and we had no idea what we were doing. And, uh, you know, I I didn't know better at the time. And so it was just horrible, but just acting out and acting out and having no idea how to get out of it. And when we got into our marriage, again, I wanted to create a good life for my wife. I wanted to create a good life for us and I wanted to be successful in a lot of different ways and everything... It was time to act, and I couldn't, and I couldn't make it work. I couldn't make it better. And so it was a very despairing time where we were just had no idea what to do next and were just kind of lost. You know, we we stopped going to church. We stopped doing a lot of things that were just kind of giving up, saying, I I don't know what to do, but this hurts, and I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was just really tender. And so, and so acting out, hide of your addiction, yeah, is, just, is porn's coming back every once in a while, it's happening every day, it's happening every no, week. No, it was every day, many days. And yeah. even Sometimes after, multiple times a day. After we got married, you mm-hmm. know, um, it was rare to see a day go by when I wasn't acting out at the height of that. Yeah. And it was, it was really hard. Um, and so finally we reached out and... Uh, uh, to a bishop and asked for some help and tried therapy and it was horrible. Uh, <laughs> which, which, by the way, people tell me that, so I, I don't. So, so I, I'm becoming a therapist, yeah. right? And people are like, "Oh, I had a terrible experience in therapy." Right. And my response is, "I'm like, you probably did, right? Because there's, it, it's like any other profession, right? There's a lot of them right. that are honestly just aren't very good, and there's a whole right. bunch of them that are really good. And so I, I do have that to doesn't say, surprise me, I guess. Well, and I have to say, I remember this is 17 years exactly. ago. Exactly. There was not there was, a lot oh, you out this there. Is, whoa. You, you did this, this at 17? No, no. Years. 17 years ago, at the early part of our marriage. Oh, 17 years ago. I'm like, dude, freaking yeah. baller. I'm like, you're being honest <laughs> no. at 17? This guy's no. going to freaking therapy, James. No. Are you kidding me? <laughs> there wasn't but, a lot of help out there when no. we were first married. Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew how to help anybody yeah. with a pornography addiction. Everything was drugs, alcohol. We can help you with that. But yeah. this other thing... I don't well, know what still to do. today in in I'll call it therapy land, mm-hmm. psychology land, whatever you want to call it. There's still a, a I would say probably a little over majority that's like, eh, it's not an addiction. Don't use right. that. It's not. Yeah. It, it's not. It's not in the DSM five. It's not. So I mean, right. there's it's 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 a newer. It is. Yeah, I think for sure. Yeah. So you go to some therapy, so, bishopers. It doesn't go well. So there's yeah. some more hopeless, right? Yeah, I was not very confident in in getting any type of help at the time because. Um, the first time when I was 17, my bishop finally said, or 18, I think it was, we should talk to your parents and brought them in. The experience was dad said nothing, looked at the floor, mom cried and said, what have I done? It's all my fault. And nothing was done to support me. And I walked out of there feeling worse than I went in. There's the so shame gun. Bang! We, right? go to, uh. we go to therapy now. And again, it's just kind of a, well, let's see what we can do do to help i don't know like there's no no idea what to do and you know the bishop's paying for it and we're talking to him it's just all this shame of just nothing's getting better and and so we ended up uh finally moving and coming down closer to family and um i don't know it just was a bit of a jumble trying to find some help for a few years and becky 
at one point said after she'd found out that I had acted out and we were intimate together sexually, she looked at me and said, I never want to do that again if you have been lying to me. And I said, I'm so sorry. That Meaning I don't want again. to have any intimacy with you. If, if no you're sexual still intimacy lying. if you're not, if you're lying to me. And from that moment forward, I just swore Good to myself, I will, not, I will not do that anymore. And it's yeah. been incredibly better. In fact, I probably say, well, I can't say I say too much. Sometimes I have maybe, but, but it's been so much better since then. And since she said, you know, that will never happen to me again. And I just realized Great how boundary. much I was hurting my wife and yeah. it changed me. Um, so from then on, honesty got a lot better, um, but it still was hard. Um, and anyway, I finally found the good therapist probably a couple years later, and he finally helped me start changing my image of God. Um, I read a book that talked about how God is not an umpire. He's not looking to see, did you miss the base by half an inch when you're running the bases in baseball or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, did you, was there a mistake made? Oh, you're out, you know? Yeah. That that God is the dad. He's cheering for you and he's saying, let's try again. Let's try again. And uh, that completely started to shift my mindset on God. I wasn't ready to completely change because that takes some time, but it started the process of me beginning to trust God a little more and realize that's totally that different view different. of the yeah. relationship with God than you'd had previously. Right, right. I felt incredibly judged, and I, I firmly believe that as members of the church, far too often we believe in like the God giving us direction and answers and showing us what to do next, but we completely deny the love of God. You know that He, you know. He's the light of the world, and that should help us to feel just loved where we are. And um, one of the best things I ever heard was actually a couple years after that, um, when I asked a neighbor just for a blessing, which, you know, came in to kind of pray with me for those who don't know. Um, But in that moment, he said, God is grateful you have not given up. And I cannot tell you how long I didn't even realize I was hungering for those words to hear that what I was doing mattered and the Lord was thankful. And by then I was, you know, sober for a month, two months, three months at a time. I was making some progress. I was still extremely frustrated that I wasn't doing better and could not seem to forgive myself when something happened, when I had a relapse, when, you know, I was just distraught for a few days because it had happened and so hard on myself and just had not really learned to love myself, to let God love me. And I could not... Um, articulate what the problem was, and it really helped. That's one of the moments that just unlocks something in me to know that God is thankful I have not given up, and I just needed to hear it. And ever since then, I've just held on to that, that when it gets really hard, the Lord still loves me, and he's just thankful that I haven't given up. And you know, sometimes it's been incredibly hard, and I've needed to hear that again, so or and, to remember that. And I just wanted to point out just, you know, for those listeners that are out there, just how powerful an understanding of the true nature of God, God's loving nature, just how powerful that can be in your recovery journey. Um, it's so hard to do recovery without spirituality, without God. And if you Psych, try to, you won't. And if you <laughs> well, try you to, won't. yeah, that's true. If you try to take the journey without Him, you're just not going to get. You never leave the station, man. Out the gates, yeah, you're not going to make it, and. Uh, the point I want to make, though, is that I think most of our listeners do believe in God, but they might struggle to understand who God really is. 
Well, I think it's what you're talking about, Richard, right? It's this reframing, right? Right. You, what, what part of what drove your shame, right, was you had this, this gold standard, Right? right, that you knew, like this porn stuff is bad. Like I shouldn't be doing this. That's because you knew God on some level with all that, right? And but then to have this connection where He would meet you where you're at, if I can use those words, to, that's that's something I got from what you're saying. Um, and that took me a long time as well because for me, growing up, performance equaled love. Right, you know you 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 perform, right? Dad doesn't really want to play basketball with you in the backyard after work. He's tired. But, you know, if you're going to play in a in a league that, that matters or your school team, that matters, show up to that. So, so a myriad of things that taught me that, right? And so to me, that's how I saw God, right, was you perform. So to have him meet me where I'm at, like you're describing, is huge. Yeah. I I desperately needed to hear it, that God loved me right where I was at, as I was, and that he was... He was proud of me for how hard that I had fought to get to where I was. Um, and uh, I. Which would have been hard because yeah. you didn't have a year of sobriety. That mm-hmm. would have made sense, right? If you yep. would have been like, oh, yeah, I worked hard and I'm sober for a year. <laughs> Thanks, God. And he's patting you on the back. Yeah. Yep. That would have fit in your more rigid system, right? Then, let me ask you this Were you yeah. proud of yourself? No. <laughs> it was, I don't know. It was. Soon it'll be enough. Soon it'll be enough. And and I don't know where that ends, you know. Are you good enough when you're one year sober, when you're five, when you're ten? I, I don't know. Yeah, that's you the know, trap but, of that perfectionism. But someday, maybe, <laughs> right. if well, I keep trying, I'll be good enough, and, you know. It and the hard. love is, yeah. you're good enough right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I... Uh, one of the things um, I love is Brene Brown's work, and... Um, I don't know, you guys have talked about that a bit before, but she talks in, about how an addict needs shame, like someone who is dying of dehydration needs salt water. Yeah. You know, and it is just. It's a Terry Real quote. Yeah. yeah I know. That I, well. I have learned to just swim in the deep end of shame for my whole life, and I still struggle sometimes to find joy in the moments when I f- should find joy because it feels so foreign to be out of shame and to be, uh, to be happy, to allow the Lord to just love me where I'm at. I still struggle with that. And even just in the last year, I've come to stop, to stop associating how long have I been sober with how worthy and loved and good am I as a person. And, uh, you know, I've noted up here for a long time. (laughs) I, I swear the distance between my head and my heart is the longest 16 inches in the world. It's just, mm-hmm. I know so many things, but I cannot seem to get them into my heart without a lot of hard work and time and patience and letting the Lord help me because I knew God loved me from the time I was, you know, a young kid, but I didn't feel God's love in me for a long time. And it sounds like, I mean, you had the experience with the blessing. I'm sure you have right. some other experiences too, but it yeah. sounds like this. And as you kind of described, it's kind mm. of been a little bit of a gradual change for you. It yeah. wasn't this like, boom, be healed moment. And you're like, I know now. God, lo-. <laughs> I mean, for some people it is that. It's like it's this shift moment. or It's different for everyone. Yeah. But for you, it's been sounds like it's been this gradual, as, you, as you've wrestled with it, I mean, right. God's, God's slowly reached in and been able to touch your heart enough times where it's, it's connecting now. Right. For me, it's like um, 
Um, for those of you who live around here, if you ever saw pictures of the Provo Temple when they built it, the city center one, they had to lift the whole thing up on stilts, completely replace, replace the foundation. I felt like that. I had no foundation. And um, I used to hate the word recovery because it felt like prison. You know, you should be in recovery. You should be in recovery. And I'm like, this is just, I don't want to be in recovery because it sounds like, you know, it's I have to be label. different. I have to be whatever. Yeah, another shame label. You know, and at the same time, though, I wanted to be, I wanted to be at peace and I wanted healing. And so finally, when we were at um, a Lifestar meeting, one of the therapists said something that, again, kind of changed my mindset. She says, we're not asking you to be in recovery. We're asking you to live a healthy life. And it hit me this what healthy people do they do daily stuff they take care of themselves you know and suddenly i laugh because we all do that we're like okay <laughs> yeah. i'm here whatever right. i have to do to fix this and be done and go back to what right. i was doing right so and i spent so much at the that. time yeah and i so much wanted to be done with it so that i yeah. could rest and lay back and just be me and um and i realized that's all i'm being asked to do is to live a healthy life and it totally changed my mindset with what i was trying to accomplish and that's all I ever really wanted. I wanted healing. I wanted peace. I wanted a happy life. And so when it finally occurred to me that recovery is a happy life, a healthy life, then I started to, to, you know, to change a little bit more there and started to say, what do I need to do to keep myself in a healthy place and started to work toward recovery rather than running away from acting out an addiction. And yeah. so, so, Becky, tell me about this kind of this process for you entering recovery and the change starting to happen. Right, you talked the first couple of years of marriage were tough sledding. Yeah, right? they they were really hard. So we you don't trust him, for a while. right? You <laughs> talked about the boundary around intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and you saying like I'm not doing that, and so you know you don't trust him. How how did things start to shift for you? How did you start to find your own healing? I think as we found therapists that were the right fit for us and had knowledge about addiction and how to support spouses, that was a big game changer for us when we were um, taken care of in the ways we individually needed to be taken care of. That's when things started getting better. For you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you were getting taken care of. And part of it is, as women were raised naturally to take care of the people around us. It's a very healthy thing, and that's how you're raised. And so I saw the man that I loved struggling, and struggling horribly, and I just wanted to help him, and I just wanted to love him. And I lost myself for a long time, and good therapy helped me a lot find myself again because I was really lost for a long time. And um, we had a good therapist in the Midwest. And then when we moved back here, we started at Lifestar. And um, that was probably the biggest game changer for us was individual therapy. And we did the different phases. And since then, Meaning we've done group therapy. Group you did therapy. group therapy as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And then we do some marriage therapy. We, we continue with some therapy now. And. And so, uh, because I just, people are all over on the spectrum, right? 
And so I think, um, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot. I realize this, but like, tell me some specifics of some shifting for that because sure. I'm a woman who's listening and I'm like, okay, he's like, I don't know, just kind of figuring it out. And all of a sudden God loves him and he's fine now. <laughs> and so he's kind of healing or whatever. Right. And so what you're, you just, you know, you go to therapy, you read some books, some people talk to you and now just what you bump your head and you trust him now. No. So I mean, what, how, <laughs> no. how, and not to mention you have all this, all this, uh, trauma and baggage from right. your your abuse as a, as a kid and all of that and structure on God. So uh, in theory, I'm like, I get what you're saying, but give me some specifics because sure. I know we, we have people listening that are like, well, doesn't that sound nice? End of the fairy tale. And it's Ta-da. like, no, but really, like, how did you really change from this yeah. despairing early on tough marriage? Like, That's a good question. I feel like as I was given tools, and some of the biggest tools that I've been able to utilize are healthy boundaries. Um, like ba- around the intimacy. And just around everything. Boundaries are for everyone, every type of relationship, and even for yourself. A boundary is like, this is where I stop, and this is where other people start. Like, this is my own space. And that translates into how I will be treated, how I will treat other people. And um, with the other tools involved things like... Well, before you move oh, on, give me an example of the boundaries. So give me like a time when you finally realize like, whew, boundaries matter. This works. <laughs> yeah. So boundaries were kind of evolving for a long time. I presented him with a list of boundaries and they weren't about controlling his behavior. That's, I think, where we get tripped up sometimes. It's not about making him stop acting out. It's about helping me be safe. So one of the boundaries was, if you lie to me, um, we cannot be in the same home for 24 hours. I will not be lied to. I I have the right to live a life (sighs) without lies. Totally. And those, those boundaries started providing me safety. So that's kind of the next natural step is my safety provided me space to heal from my childhood wounds, from our relationship wounds. And without honesty and safety, I would never have um, been able to continue in our relationship. I have to be really honest about that. Um, I would not have continued in our relationship. And I think I have the right to say that. I have the right. 100% you have the right to say that. (laughs) You know, we have three daughters, and I look at them. They have the right to not be lied to. So do their future spouses. We all have the right to live in an honest way. And that's, and from talking to Richard and trying to understand him. I can't imagine how terrifying that is for him. Even though we had been very open and very honest, it is terrifying to be honest about hard stuff. It just is. Amen. Because it triggers that flight or yep. that flight response yeah. in so many yeah. addicts. Well, it's the shame, yeah. right? I mean, he's he's on a merry-go-round where he's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter how much harder I try, I can't meet the yep. gold standard. Yeah. And so if you put a boundary up there, it feels like, right. hey, if you don't meet the gold standard, yep. I'm out. And so he's like, yeah, dead, destined to dead fail if I do, now. dead right. if I don't, right? And he'd had expressed yep. that more than once. He's He's yeah. just like, I can't win here. And really, I think what we came to realize is 
we only lose when there's lying. We only lose if you lie. We can work on this together if you're honest. You know, we can. We can do it if you will just be honest. James and I just looked at each other like, if you listen to any part of this podcast, that last 30 seconds was yeah. it. That was, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and when well, you could only get to that place understanding God's love, right? That's right. the only time you could be okay with yourself because you were never going to meet whatever the standard was of sobriety or boundary keeping or right right and it's taken a tremendous amount of of work and determination to just not give up and try something new you know some therapists like we said were really really not that helpful but most have been good and i've learned something different from each of them and you know it's really helped me to start cleaning out the gunk and building the the whole thing i was talking about earlier was we have to build a foundation for a better life, you know? And I just felt like I've had to really dig back and figure out where are the cracks? What went wrong? How do I build a, a healthy mindset around sexuality and all of this? And it's still sometimes is really hard when you come across something that's still really tender and you haven't healed from it yet. And, it, and yet it's okay. You know, I didn't know what I was doing for so many years. So many of the wounds I have to deal with were not my fault. But it's now my choice how I heal and what I do. And a lot of the times, e even sometimes when I've acted out, it has opened up my eyes to a wound I didn't realize I was running around with. And some of those times have led to more healing than I needed. And it's a really strange way to look at it, but the Lord can heal you through anything if you'll open up your heart to just let him teach you. If you read the next book, if you talk to the next therapist, you go to the next meeting, and just don't give up and just try again and and just invite the Lord in to say, Lord, help, help me see why am I hurting here? And sometimes the answer doesn't come right away. Sometimes it doesn't come when I want it to. Sometimes it comes after I told the Lord, come on, this needs to come now. <laughs> you know. But if you're patient and you don't give up, just because it hasn't worked yet doesn't mean it doesn't work. You know, yeah. and I've yeah. had to really learn to be patient sometimes. So, Richard, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. For so many of of us addicts, that mm -hmm. truth part, that is the big hurdle. It's just so hard to get to. Right. You know, to your point, Steve, you're like, nope, nothing happened, and it would show up. Tell us a little bit about how you how you started to work through that shame or that fear and and become honest, and what that process look like for you? Or did you just flip a switch and decide, I'm honest from here on forward? I became much more honest after she admitted how much it hurt her okay. that I wasn't in that moment, and that helped me. But um, I've still had to practice it in many other ways. And um, it is, it's not easy to be honest, because sometimes it feels like um, I was telling Becky this analogy the other day, you feel like you're in the in Vietnam, and you know something, and you've got one person, your wife, who's got your back, or maybe one or two people around you. And if you say something, then they're going to leave, and you will be left alone. It's suicide. You know, it just feels like expressing the truth is death, you know, because you'll be alone, because it's so terrifying to be alone. And so many of us are stuck in those childhood years. You know, I know that the psychology yes. kind of, as, of it is. For a kid to be alone is to die, and therefore they're strongly connected. So there's such a hard fear in us around being alone. And it's really taken some courage, and including um, 
Becky and I did one time a, a few years back what I call a therapeutic break now. Um, <laughs> That's what he calls it. <laughs> we did a controlled separation, but it's a horrible, stupid word. She calls it kicking so, ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, uh, it's called a therapeutic she break, was so, he says. Controlled she was separation so is what it is. <laughs> yeah. She was so wound up and, and everything I was doing and whatnot and not – and struggling to be really, truly honest about everything. Even if I was honest with her about acting out, I was struggling yeah. to be honest about other things. And she was so wound up, she just couldn't do it anymore. And I finally asked, I need some space. And so it really healed me in a way to take some time. We took six weeks um, alone, quite a bit the first couple, and then together a little bit more the next couple, and then a little bit more the next couple. So he actually and, moved out for six weeks. Yeah. yeah. And we had no contact for the first two weeks. Right. Oh. And as we did that, I finally learned that I can be more alone and it's okay. And I don't know what it takes for everybody, but a lot of it is learning that being, that telling the truth is not death and it's not being completely abandoned and all sorts of things. It's painful, it's tender, but it leads to better places. And if you can just have some hope to try, it does mean things will change. And, you know, we all know we're nuts if we do the same thing over and over and don't expect to change. And so it will take a change, and that's good to change what we've been doing. Well, uh, totally. And, and to learn to be honest. And so I don't know of a better way. It just takes practice and some some faith and hope and um, and kind of reassuring each other that I'm going to try and be more honest with you, and it's going to suck. But we're well, going to try it again. Say, and, well, or even, you know, even if you're together. not, even if you're so. not as supportive, right? I mean, people yeah. may not be in as a supportive place as you. Well, were and true. it's front, tricky right? with honesty because, <clears throat> from my experience, it seems like, and I can I can't speak for you guys, but <clears throat> it's really scary to be honest. Because there's no guarantee she's not just going to walk Can't out the door. Can't control the outcome. Right. There, right. there is zero control. And that's something that Richard took a big leap of faith right. to say, <clears throat> I don't know if you're still going to be here when I tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Well, but that's that's my invitation to addicts because I and we've talked about this on other podcast episodes. The difference between coming forward or getting caught, and a lot of times people go, "Well, if you come forward, then you're kind of more ready." And I'm like, "No, I know tons of guys who manipulate a ton of that, right? Myself included." But um, what really worked for me because I had this big light. You know, our stories are different in that I had some of these big lightning bolt moments that it was like boom, huge shift. And for me, coming right. forward. I just understood what you said. I was like, here's the truth. I'm super unhappy and my life's a mess and I have no peace. So telling the truth is death, but I'm dead now. And I know for sure yeah. if I stay here, I'm dead. Right. So if there's any sliver of chance, maybe I'll tell the truth and be dead anyways. But kind of what I have to lose. I'm already dead. Right. And to be honest, that's why I came forward. Right. I mean, there's definitely right. some grace moment and some God in there, but it, I, I can't say like I had this overwhelming faith in, in God's atonement, his love. I did. He just, the grace was, he opened my eyes to see what you're talking about, Richard. Uh, and, never, and it gave me the courage to finally pull the trigger right. and be honest. I've never hated myself more than when I was being dishonest with, with her. And, oh, with amen. and it is such a miserable place. Self-loathing uh, as James says. Yeah. yeah, I think you have to understand that anything that comes on the other side of telling the truth is going to be better than living where we are now, if you're living a lie. And, uh, you know, it may suck. 
Because you know, your relationship so may end in divorce, or things may happen. You know those consequences we try and control. But and and I mean, I I always like to to wrap up and and, and let people other I like talk about. You know, has recovery really been worth it? And I want to get into that. But one thing I want to talk about before, which I, I said at the beginning, I don't know your story fully, Richard. So this is a curiosity question I, for myself, I guess. Um, as we'd kind of talked before in some of our notes before the show that. One thing I found consistent when men who find real recovery and real change, right? You're describing an actual, you know, happy life, fulfilling life is connection with other men. They have some communion with men. And I find without a doubt, men in addiction are isolated from other men, myself included. I'd not have close friends. I didn't do that. I'd surface stuff, right? And check the boxes for my perfectionism. So tell me what that experience was like for you because you kind of, you know, t- told us earlier and, and expressed that you weren't down with getting with a bunch of men and talking about our feelings. Right, right. That's been a long journey for me. Um, when I was growing up, like I said, I was very alone um, in a lot of things, and um, I didn't have a lot of men I trusted. I had a few I wanted to trust that tried to help me, um, but yeah, I have I struggle with men or have for a long time. Um, it was just a few years ago when I first really started going going to some of the twelve step groups here, and it is so hard to let guys hug you, like when you're first coming into this. And it was this a is struggle awesome for me. I'm the opposite. I'm like, did you give yeah. me a hug? Okay, thank you. Yeah. Right, but well, so it's a struggle up, for you. Growing up in my life, you know, mom didn't want to hug me because it was a weird sexual thing. That's what I learned. So to hug other men is like, I, I don't know how to take this. You know, at first it was really hard for me. Um, and, uh, I did go to the warrior heart boot camp um, probably four, uh, five years ago for the first time. Um, and, uh, and I was itching so much to get out of there the whole time. Like I was trying so hard to be present and to learn something, but was struggling to just stay with all the men and everything. I felt so unsafe to be around other guys and, uh, and to share anything. And so um, I actually talked with Chris my first time there, and it was a good conversation. I had healing moments. Uh, I was still grateful to get home, but it was a big healing thing for me to spend some time doing that with men that were safe and that you could be honest with and just say, I don't know how to do this, (laughs) and have them look back and say, I know, me too, for a long time. But um, it's definitely so much easier than it was five years ago just because the Lord is helping me to heal. And because um, as I've asked, he's brought me into the lives of other good men that are safe and that can help me to understand what it really means like to be okay with other men. And um, I don't know, I still feel like I have, I would like to get out and do a little more with guys and whatnot. And uh, it's okay, it'll come. We've I, know, been, I know some guys yeah. are on a podcast. You could go on there and share your story. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've been working on it. We'll keep working on it. And uh, I don't know. Our life is not, I don't know. I, I don't want to stir away from the question, but um, we have a lot of things right now that are challenging for us. And one of the hardest things for me still is that um, over the years, we dug a big hole when it came to debt and a few things. And I'm still trying to dig out of that. And it's still hard sometimes to look other guys in the eye that I think are, you know, they live in a house that's nice and all kinds of things. Because oh, that's not a perfection measuring yeah. stick if we can just And we're living in a yeah, town no home kidding. and I drive a car yeah. that's 20 years old. And so you look at other guys and you're like, uh, 
I don't know if I measure up. You know, still hard. What's our shame? So, oh, the gun. Bang! Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, That's yeah. the, you know. And so I have to work through those things because, oh, and realize yeah. that I'm good enough. And, you know, I think the Lord's really proud of me because, um, you know, not just inside of this addiction, but when it comes to food addiction and spending addiction, we've dug some pretty deep holes in some ways, and we've dug a long way out. We've got a ways to go. But um, please understand that our life is not perfect, and I still have str- – I, in the last year, have had a few days when I've been um, fairly suicidal, and it's been really hard because of money. Um, I've come a long way with this addiction recovery, but it's hard to dig that hole out. And so it's, it's just life is a challenge, and it's still hard for me sometimes to just hold on to the Lord and just say, Lord, am I enough today with, with my recovery? And, you know, it's okay, and sometimes I'm not okay, but... I hang in there, and the Lord helps it become okay again, and you just keep trying, you know. So it's a journey for me, and I'm still, I don't know. Wow. I'm not near the end of that journey. So, But I just think right. your, your, your acceptance and your surrendering, I'll use that word, is incredible. Just sitting here and hearing you share such vulnerability and being okay with yourself and sharing those vulnerability. Relatively, I mean, the amount of men that, it. that <laughs> can't, this, can't even so. say any of this out loud, oh, right. my God, you know, and right. you're – you know, oh man, to be seen the way you're choosing to be seen is incredible courage, and it, I, I, I mean, it tells the journey you've been on and how much you've grown. Obviously, from a place of being this little kid who's bullied, lost, and his family doesn't matter. Oh, it's incredible. The level of, I guess, trust that you're displaying to me in God at this point—that He's He's got you. You're in His hands. Most of the time. Um, that's what I'm hearing from you right, <laughs> right. now, though, is, is that faith is there, that right. trust is there that just wasn't there before. Right. It is so much better. I can truly call the Savior my friend, um, and, and I could not say that before. And I, I believe that all of us will suffer in this life and that is by to, God's to design. To go back to Brene Brown, okay. who we both love. Uh-huh. I love when she says... No one gets a free pass, right? No one rides for free. <laughs> right, yep. right. And so every single person is going to struggle with something really hard in their life. And it will last until you die. And I used to really fr- struggle with that, and I was frustrated. But I've learned that the Savior wants to get us back. And perfect people don't need a Savior. And so I think we really need to be... Um, to be challenged and to struggle through some things in order for the Savior to keep us close because um, I think someday we need him to save us. We need him to, um, I don't know, to, to make some big changes in us, and we cannot allow that to happen if we don't know him and not just know about him, but if we don't trust him. And how can you do that unless he's able to be there for you time after time and help lift you up and help you heal? So it's by design, and some days really suck, but most of the time I feel his presence close, and I can, even in the hard times, just say, Lord, my prayer today is just please be here with me. So <laughs> even, just, with, even with all the know, life difficulty, mm-hmm. has recovery been worth it? Absolutely. Yeah. Life's different. It is different. Um, you know, it, uh, I don't know, we're, we're accomplishing things I never thought we would, and uh, I found out that I am stronger than I ever thought I would be. Ah! You know, it is just, it, it's amazing the journey that we've been on. And I never could have taken the journey if I hadn't 
um, fully embraced uh, recovery as I understood it. And again, when I go to a meeting, um, most of the time nowadays, it is not, hi, my name's Richard, I'm a recovering sexaholic. It's, hi, my name is Richard, and I'm healing from a sex addiction, sex addiction. You know, it's awesome. It is just not, it's not the same to me anymore, and I'm grateful for the healing. Um, and I, I prefer to think of it that way. Uh, recovery still can be a hard word for me sometimes, but healing, who doesn't want healing, you know? And I'm grateful for and, that. And tell us, and yeah. you've kind of already described this, but I, to avoid any of our naysayers or avoidance, right? Well, I was going to shame. Tell me where your sobriety's at right now. Um, I am. I don't pay as close attention as I used to because I'm trying not to Which let it. Which is great, define by the way. Me. I think that's the way to do it. But I go back and forth, and so I still go to the meetings. I still have to say it, and I'm about, I'm about three months since the last time. Before that, it was a number of months. I am not perfect, and. That's awesome. I can't say that I've been a year in my life with a sober year, and um, it's still a little hard to say that, but at the same time, it's okay, and I'm grateful to be where I am, and I don't need to define myself by that anymore, and there are some days when it's still a little harder than others, but it's okay, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful that the Lord is helping me heal of that too, and so, yeah, it's still, it's incredible. still a journey, and I am just incredibly grateful for how far we've come and grateful that the Lord is allowing me to share my story and do different things to help other people. And I couldn't have done that if he had not let me walk the path that got me to where I am now. And so I'm grateful for, for the dark places that I've walked so I can reach into other dark places and help people out of them. You know, oh, well said. there's no way to do that without having been there. Oh, so amen. Brother, amen. Yeah. Becky, we're going to give you the final word. Work in progress, but... Definitely. Has recovery been worth it? Oh, yeah. Hands down. I I look at the man I married almost 20 years ago, and we are what I've always wanted. We have hard days, but... There's so much more light. But it's not computing because your life isn't perfect. So nope. <laughs> Exactly. But we also have to remember that's the plan. The plan isn't a perfect life, like he said. If life was perfect, we wouldn't need the Savior. This life is designed to point us to the Savior. And because of that, because of that light, this is the life that I've always wanted. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just what we always wanted. And in all honesty, it's what we needed. So I'm grateful for it. Awesome. I just thank you. I mean, I, honestly, I can't. I'm, I'm humbled by your guys' story and your vulnerability and the way that God has touched you and your ability just to share that with, with me and everyone listening. So I just, I just thank you for sharing your hearts with us and being here. Thank you. You guys are incredible. Yeah. Thanks for I, I don't us. think you realize how incredible you are um, and the courage you have and how amazing. I don't yeah. think so. Um, we, we always let everyone end. Um, we're a big proponent of music, right? It's the way that God can reach us. Right. And so we always let everyone kind of tie a, a, a song to their story about where they're in their journey now. So if you guys had a song we could leave everyone with, what song would it be? You want me to pick? Um, I feel like he's looking at you like you know what song it is. <laughs> I'm I'm finicky about my music, and he's I'm super I'm picky. lately a little bit. I don't know. He, she's 
She I'm has loves, and I, I fall in and out of love with music off and on <laughs> with some of those, but, you know, it's okay. It depends on where I'm at. What's the name of that song I was telling you about? God who, the God Who Stays? The God Who Stays. Have you heard it? Yes. So good. Uh, thanks again, guys. Uh, humbled by your story, and um, that's not well. So with that, we'll go with The God Who Stays by Matthew West. I were you, I would have given up on me by now I would have labeled me a lost cause Cause I feel just like a lost cause If I were you, I would have turned around and walked away I would have labeled me beyond repair Cause I feel like I'm beyond repair But somehow you don't see me like I do Somehow you're still here You're the God who stays You're the God who stays You're the one who runs in my direction When the whole world walks away You're the God who stands With wide open arms And you tell me nothing Every time I thought I let you down Always thought I had to earn my way But I'm learning you don't work that way Cause somehow you don't see me like I do Somehow you're still here You're the God who stays You're the God who stays You're the one who runs in my direction When the whole world walks away, you're the God who stands With wide open arms And you tell me nothing I have ever done Could separate my heart from the God who stays My shame can't separate my guilt With wide open arms
I have been.